Welcome back to the Headache Situation podcast series, a public service of the Michigan Headache and Neurology Clinic in East Lansing, Michigan. The content of these podcasts is made available for informational and educational purposes only. It cannot be used to make a diagnosis or treat any health condition. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. My name is Edmund Messina, MD. I am a neurologist, but also a headache sufferer, so I know of what I speak. Today, we're going to talk about sleep problems and migraine. These are commonly associated. Now, migraine people have bad sleep patterns, commonly. Not everybody, but it's common among those of us with migraine that we sleep poorly. We don't get to sleep easily. We don't stay asleep. We might awaken earlier. And this is irony because sleep deprivation is a trigger for migraine. And sometimes when we have a really bad migraine, we'd like to sleep it off, but we can't. Now, sleep-wake cycles are controlled by our circadian rhythm. There are many rhythms in our body, and um, most people, the day is the time to be awake and the night is the time to be asleep. Uh, I'll be talking a lot more about sleep and insomnia on my other podcast site known as The Cynical Doctor's Guide to Healthcare. It's a little more sarcastic and perhaps a bit more humorous than these migraine podcasts, but they're very useful and you might want to tune into those as well. At the time of this recording, the insomnia unit is not yet up, but it will be soon. But the other items on the Cynical Doctor website may be very useful to you regarding physician accreditations, hospitals, how to not be ripped off, how not to be put into danger. All right, so migraine can occur during sleep. In fact, the, the most common times a migraine can occur is between 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. That seems to be the most common time they occur upon awakening in many people. And that's a migraine thing. Many times we build our strategies around this by using certain nighttime preventative medicines or trying to get a person not to wake up with a migraine the next day because it sets the tone for the rest of the day. And many of my patients tell me that if they're going to have a really killer headache, it's the kind that starts when they wake up in the morning. Now, some other headache types are more predictable. Cluster is very predictable, and there are specific times of day when it can occur. There are many exceptions, of course, but many people will get awakened in the middle of the night at about the same time or in the evening with their clusters. There's a rare type of headache, which is rather interesting. It's called hypnic headache. It's H-Y-P-N-I-C, hypnic headache. And it occurs almost exactly at the same time every night at a certain stage of sleep. These are sometimes called alarm clock headaches. And they're not migraines. They are very different. So if you're having those kinds of headaches, be sure you very carefully describe them to your doctor. So what's the deal with sleep? Sleep's very important to us. As humans, we need to sleep. We don't sleep percentage-wise as much as other mammals, like a puppy, for example, or a human baby. They sleep a lot more than an awake, functioning adult. But sleep's important. During sleep, the brain's consolidating information that it gathered during the day. It's deciding what it's going to commit to long-term memory and what it's going to throw out. Remember in school when you'd cram for an exam and stay up all night and take the test and maybe get an A, and two days later, you would have no recollection of what it was you studied, and that same test you probably wouldn't be able to pass. That's consolidation. It occurs during sleep. It simply stores things. Now, during sleep also, the brain is very, very busy. In fact, if you look at brainwaves, EEG uh, tracings of people asleep, The brain is very busy. There are all kinds of waves. There's a lot of business going on in there. So what's going on in there? Well, certain sets of cells will come awake during deep sleep and actually wash out and clear out byproducts of the neurotransmitters that can occur in the synapses between brain cells. There's actually a repair process that takes place. These glial cells will actually come awake in deep sleep and start pruning weak connections between brain cells, and then new ones will sprout, take their place. A lot of business going on in there. So sleep is critical. 
Some people notice that too much sleep will give them headaches. Some people notice not enough sleep will give them headaches. Teenagers are a special category. Think about it. When you're a teenager, you want to go to bed late, you want to get up late, but you're in school. So you try to not go to bed too late, but maybe you can't fall asleep easily because some teenagers have what's called delayed sleep phase. It's not a disorder. It's a phenomenon. So these teenagers end up in sleep debt and come Saturday morning when they don't have to be at school, they will try to oversleep or sleep in and many of them will get their migraines on those days. Now, people think, well, it's their blood sugar because they didn't eat. No, that's not true. What it is, is it's a trigger, and they're oversleeping, and they're out of their circadian rhythm. What I have found very useful for many of our patients is we tell them, get up at the regular, rotten, early time that they have to get up for school. Eat breakfast, walk the dog, whatever. Then go back to sleep. Catch those extra hours then. They can do it. It's not hard to do, and they generally don't get those Saturday morning headaches. It's all about circadian rhythm. In adults, the big problem is often those who travel more than one time zone on an airplane will have jet lag. And, you know, it takes about a day per hour of jet lag to recover from a long trip. So going to California, going to Europe, or in our case, visiting my daughter in Australia, we end up with about 14 or 15 hour lag in our sleep-wake cycle. And it takes time to recover it. You can recover about an hour per day. So jet lag, some people are good going west to east. Some people are good going east to west. But this is one of the triggers for migraine in some people. Now, shift work is another version of that. When people are working nights for a few weeks, then go to days or second shift. We see this in the auto industry where people will shift their working times, taking terms with others. Very bad for their sleep and very bad for migraine. People who work nights will drive home through bright sunlight, which inhibits the normal sleep mechanism, and they go home and try to get some sleep. It's hard to fall asleep. Meanwhile, the phone rings a bunch of times. There's some Yahoo knocking at their door to try to sell them something, or they have to get up and take their kids, pick them up from school or take their kids to school, whatever. All these things disrupt daytime sleep. So night shift workers don't get the kind of solid sleep that day shift workers get. This also tends to increase weight gain, by the way. You'll notice uh, a lot of places like hospitals, the night shift people seem to be a bit heavier than the daytime people. And that's kind of interesting. That's another story. It has to do with the hypothalamus of the brain beyond today's discussion. But the problems we see in migraine, insufficient sleep, disturbed sleep, oversleeping, inconsistent sleep cycles, they're often reported as triggers for migraine attacks. Now, we control some of the variables. We can't control all of them unless you quit the job or change jobs or something like that. An interesting subset of these people would be those who have had post-traumatic or post-concussion headaches. They seem to have more insomnia and they get their migraines or post-traumatic headaches more frequently. Now, the National Sleep Foundation recommends that teenagers should sleep 8 to 10 hours and adults from 26 to 64 should get 7 to 9 hours and adults 65 and above should get about 7 or 8 hours of sleep each night. The irony is that bad sleep causes migraine, and migraine people have bad sleep. And I mentioned sleep deprivation is an issue. Please keep that in mind. Now, sometimes when we're getting a daytime migraine, if we're not at work, we might try to sleep off a migraine. Maybe the medicine makes you sleepy. Maybe you try to just sleep off a migraine. Sometimes that can work, but it's very hard. I know a personal experience has been very hard to try to sleep off a migraine because you can't sleep. Some of us can't sleep. And if you do get to sleep, if you get enough of a nap during the day, you might be using up certain chemicals which are used later in the brain, which will help you fall asleep at bedtime. That's the problem. Other issues that can keep you from sleeping, even if you work day shifts and have nighttime to sleep, could be bedmates who snore. I'm going to talk about snoring in a couple of minutes. 
Clenching is another issue. People that are especially stressed people, but others can do it too, it's called sleep-related bruxism. When you grind your teeth in your sleep or just clench your teeth in your sleep, a lot of these folks, the dentist will tell they have changes on their enamel. They can see wear or even little cracks or big cracks, and they often will tell them to use a bite splint which works fine in protecting your teeth, but it doesn't make you not clench. Nighttime clenching is an involuntary motor activity of sleep. Among our migraine people, we see a lot of people who have sleepiness, and you need to find the cause of the sleepiness. Sometimes it's due to the medications that they take, of course, and we worry about people being over-medicated or taking inappropriate meds for their own personal metabolism or interactions of medicines which make them sleepy. Dangerous thing, falling asleep at the wheel, you can hit a tree or another person. Dangerous situation. And we really strongly recommend that our headache population get proper sleep. If your spouse is a snorer, tell them to get evaluated. If you snore, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We need to worry about apnea. Now, the quality and the quantity of sleep is important. So if you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like you're restored, that might be a symptom of another condition. Non-restorative sleep can be caused by bad sleep patterns or obstructive sleep apnea. Now, obstructive sleep apnea in recent years has come to greater attention, and I think most docs, hopefully, are attuned to those symptoms. What are the symptoms? Well, people wake up, they're not refreshed. They wish they can go back to sleep again. No matter how many hours they spend in bed, they're not refreshed by their sleep. And by day, they're sleepy. Most people with apnea will snore at night because they have obstructive apnea. It's more common in people that are overweight. And we live in a country, actually, we live in a world where obesity is dominant. And being overweight, that is having a high BMI, is a risk factor for chronic migraine. And it's also a risk factor for obstructive sleep apnea and many other conditions. So a typical person who's suspicious for apnea would usually be obese, have non-restorative sleep, have daytime sleepiness, and hear complaints about snoring. When people sleep by themselves, of course, they can't hear their snoring, but they might be awakened by choking or gasping for breath or whatever. Now, some people with apnea don't snore. They don't make noise because they're not moving any air, and that's called central apnea. That's where the brain doesn't even try to take a breath. You see, with obstructive apnea, your body is trying to take a breath, and there's an obstruction usually at the upper airway. Now, those nostril things they sell on TV, that's got nothing to do with apnea. The blockage is up in the, it's called the oropharynx, and it's up high in the back of the throat. When this blockage occurs, you're not moving air, and then the CO2 level rises in, in the body, and the oxygen level drops, and there are little uh, built-in fail-safes in our brainstem that when they detect a low oxygen, they wake us up, make us take a breath. And that's how these people don't get into deep sleep because deep sleep is when the apnea is most likely going to set in. That's very important to be aware of if you're in any way suspicious of having sleep apnea. You need to talk to your doctor and get proper testing. And the proper test is a sleep study. Insurance companies lately have been keeping people from going into the sleep lab and they try to have them use these uh, portable home devices, which may be accurate 80% of the time. Frankly, I don't trust them as much as I trust being in the sleep lab. There are other causes for insomnia. And some people have restless legs, which is a crazy feeling in the legs where you got to move them or stretch them or walk around to get comfortable. The insomnia issue is very common in the migraine population. And it goes two ways. Migraine people tend to be more likely to be insomniacs. And a lot of people with insomnia have headache disorders. Napping is your enemy. If you're tired during the day because you were not sleeping at night and you take a nap, it's probably going to keep you from falling asleep at the proper bedtime.
in my other podcasts, The Cynical Doctor's Guide to Healthcare, I'll be talking in much more detail about insomnia. But for now, try to get to bed and get up at the same time each day. Keep regular hours. The more boring your life is, the less likely you are to provoke a migraine. Make sure you're timing your sleep and you're sleeping long enough. You know, some people just don't want to go to bed early enough to get enough sleep because they have to get up early in the morning, but you have so much to do or they want to watch TV or read a book, whatever. But you're cheating yourself in the long run. It's been shown that people that spend time outdoors in natural light during the daytime seem to have a better circadian clock. I read somewhere not long ago, there was a study saying when people are really out of sync with their circadian rhythm, they tell them, go camping for one week out in the great outdoors, where you're pretty much getting up when the sun rises and going to sleep when it's dark. And these people seem to reset their clock. Try to make your sleeping environment as restful as possible. You need sufficient darkness. You know, if there's a lot of light in your room or TVs operating while you're trying to sleep, bad idea. Exercise seems to make a difference too. Just before bedtime, exercise might be a problem for causing insomnia because it'll crank up your adrenaline, but people that regularly exercise do really much better with their sleep control and their migraine control, I might add. Think about your bed mostly as a place where you either sleep or have sex. It's not a place to read or study or watch TV. The brain adapts differently to things, and you have to say to your brain, this is our sleeping place. Avoiding caffeine before bedtime obviously is a good idea. And alcohol too. Now, some people think a nightcap, taking a shot of booze before bedtime will help you sleep. And it may make you sleep, but it lasts about an hour or so. And the kind of sleep you get from alcohol nightcaps basically crowds a lot of your REM sleep in right away. Then you wake up and you feel like it's time to wake up in the morning. You feel refreshed, but you've only had like an hour of sleep. And of course, this doesn't last. Again, that's not the treatment for insomnia. Sleeping meds are a problem too. Um, Just about all of them are potentially habit-forming. And there's one that people buy over-the-counter, diphenhydramine. It's in a lot of products like Tylenol PM. There are a lot of things that have PM written on the name of the medicine. They contain what used to be Benadryl or diphenhydramine. It might make you sleepy, but it's not a good sleep. And there's data now showing that older people who use that for sleeping have a higher incidence of dementia. It's not a good thing to use for sleep. The best thing to get to sleep is to have a normal, healthy life style. You can also get a a smartphone app for free. It's from the VA and it's called CBT-I. CBT means Cognitive Behavioral Therapy hyphen I for insomnia. CBT-I Coach. CBT-I Coach. It's free thanks to our tax dollars. It was written by Stanford University and has many tricks on how to sleep. It's not like whale sounds or something. It's a method of sleeping and controlling your sleep and relaxing and turning off the motor at night. That's a very safe way to go. Sleeping pills have a certain risk. The FDA has determined that most of the sleeping medicines are dangerous the following day. They talk about doubling the risk of accidents from driving. If you take a sleeping pill the night before, apparently there's double the risk of daytime driving accidents. Again, this probably varies with the individual, but if you can avoid using medicines, it's the best. Now, a lot of people can't sleep because they are stressed out. A lot of people have too many migraines because they're stressed out, and there are ways to manage stress. And we teach people, in my practice, we teach people the following things, which are no-brainers, but they're common sense. You need to get 30 minutes or better of exercise each day. You got to schedule time when you connect with people that you care about or you're having fun. Eat healthy foods. Don't skip meals. And try using deep breathing relaxation exercises. The technique which we recommend is one that Dr. Benson wrote about in his book, The Relaxation Response. You find a comfortable place. You lie on your back in a darkened room. Comfortable chair could work as long as you're not having to maintain your posture, as long as you can just drop in there like you're inert. And you start breathing slowly 
in and out, saying the word one in your brain as you slowly breathe out. You can use any word you want, preferably one syllable. Some people try to visualize a tiny point of white light far away in the distance at infinity while they're doing the breathing. When you're doing this, you really can't think about anything else. Your, your brain is occupied. Now, once you've started doing this breathing, then next step is to try to relax your body in a sequence. You're imagining waves of relaxation running up or down your body from the feet up or from the scalp down. Think of it as washing out your stress. You could do it by tensing your toes and then your foot and your calf, whatever. You just kind of pick muscle groups at the bottom. Usually it works better. And then let this wave of relaxation travel up your body. It's an acquired skill. I learned about it many, many years ago, and I can get into this state rapidly. You're in a relaxed state, you're breathing a certain way, you're not thinking, and you're in an altered state. Uh, you're not asleep. Hopefully, you're not falling asleep. You want to be suppressing stress, not falling asleep with this. But it reduces stress, and then, you know, even if you do this during the day or in the mornings, it has a cumulative benefit. There are apps you can get on your smartphone. I think there's Insight Timer is one. You can buy a device, biofeedback device. Biofeedback is when an electronic device gives you back the information that you're starting to relax. It's like trainer wheels. We have some people buy these online devices. The GSR2 is, is a biofeedback device people buy. It attaches to your fingers and emits a tone. Most people don't need this stuff. Most people develop techniques. Bottom line, in the end, there's no substitute for good sleep. Good sleep will help you with migraine. Bad migraine control will ruin your sleep. So you got to work on this. That's really the main issue I'm trying to bring out here is you got to work on getting good sleep. If you're a night shift worker and you're driving through bright sunlight, that will probably make it very difficult for you to fall asleep when you get home. So buy some amber clip-on or amber sunglasses. They're for cheap in the stores and it'll block out the blue frequencies of light because it turns off the melatonin, which is what sustains and gets us asleep. Okay, well, everybody, thank you for listening to this podcast episode. There are others in the series. Please subscribe to us and follow our other offerings. We have a website which will take you to some of the videos and to the rest of these podcasts. It's www.theheadachesituation.com. But if you just subscribe to this podcast, it will alert you to all new ones that I add in. Also, this is new. For more information about healthcare as it applies to you, you can tune into my other podcast series called The Cynical Doctor's Guide to Healthcare. Yeah, I'm cynical, but I'm optimistic. And this Cynical Doctor's Guide to Healthcare is to help protect you from the scams, the fake news that's out in medical marketing, drug companies, insurance companies, docs that aren't really legit. The Cynical Doctor's Guide to Healthcare in a somewhat humorous way, will guide you through these moments. And like I said, there'll be one on insomnia pretty soon. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe. Goodbye.